0: And get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank
1: you. Psychedelics aren't a cure for anything. They're a catalyst. They help you remember who you are. They remember a way you used to think before society and your parents and the teachers and the government gave us layers and layers and layers of of masks the academia i think they've done a great job of talking about all the different things that psychedelics are having positive effects in so it's everything from experiencing depression and anxiety ocd eating disorders substance use challenges gambling overeating autism there's a beautiful group doing work with autism psychedelics they'll say i couldn't read emotion Until uh, psychedelics helped me unlock that. And then there's other, this other person who would say, um, my family didn't understand how much I love them because I couldn't express it. And psychedelics helped me understand that. Hi. And
0: welcome back to another episode of the Mark Rose podcast. Today I have Matt Seaman. There you go. Okay. So I have to, I'm going to read this off because you have a lot of accolades, uh, dedicated explorer of the inner world and a passionate advocate for the thoughtful and responsible use of psychedelics. You're the first person I've had on the podcast to talk about psychedelics, so I'm very excited about I'm excited. That I'm honored that you chose me to
1: do this. Honestly,
0: it's man, this, this is in. incredible. You have a master's in science in psychology and neuroscience of mental health with mm-hmm. honors from mm-hmm. King's College London. And so you've dove deep into this world of psychedelics, which the world of psychedelics is seems to be massively exploding. Is that a fair?
1: I think it's totally fair. Yeah. After a 50-year prohibition, we have now about 300 academic institutions studying psychedelics. We have uh, yeah, people uh, being much more public about their use of psychedelics. And I think we're normalizing that conversation in a really beautiful way. Why do, What has led to this all of a sudden it's okay? I think a lot of things. I mean, partially it's that we've... We haven't had a change in mental health in America in 50 years with since the creation of the antidepressant. And yeah. people are tired of that not working and the side effects, I think. Um, I think the science, we've had a couple of scientists who have really kind of gone out there and looked at what these medicines are capable of. And then I, and then I actually think Michael Pollan in his uh, How to Change Your Mind book has really helped at a, at a consumer level. And then actually, before I forget the the maps the multidisciplinary Association yeah. for uh psychedelic science, they've done really beautiful work with m d m a specifically, and those results are are kind of phenomenal so it's I think the public is starting to shift their their mindset and with all of these forces converging, it's like the academic spaces are
0: making it more acceptable to look at it. The consumer pressure must be a big thing, hey
1: I think so, yeah um I talk a lot about there's, there's kind of three ways in America that people meet psychedelics. Some meet it in the medical model. Um, ketamine is our, is our legal option and they, people want that. And academia is really driving. Hopefully MDMA will be legalized next year. Psilocybin, uh, the active ingredient in mushrooms has been given FDA breakthrough therapy. So maybe that's a few years away. So that's, that's driving it on the medical side. We have, Decrim nature working across the country to decriminalize psychedelics. And I think that's important and beautiful, especially when it comes to access the medical models not covered by insurance. So if we want uh, people who don't have the same economic advantages to have access to these medicines, decriminalization is important. And then you have a whole religious movement I and mean, there's over 200 psychedelic churches in America well, uh, operating really? under yeah under the I religious Yes, you do f- find God with psychedelics. There's no doubt that uh yeah. there's it, it you connect to whatever your sacred is. Um you feel connected to the interconnectedness of all things and these churches um they will tell you they're operating legally even if they don't have a a piece of paper from the government that says that. Um, under the First Amendment and the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, so lots of different ways people meet psychedelics today, so the actual churches are just a bunch of people doing mushrooms They can be it's it, it a of course or it's both, it's both yes. as all things are but there there's no question in my mind that in many 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 of these have sincere religious belief they have rituals, they have ceremonies I can see that. they have uh they have structure yeah,
0: what led you to go down this journey of, of exploring psychedelics because you're also the author of Psychedelics for Everyone.
1: Mm-hmm. I, had a, I, I really fell into this by accident. I had some friends invite me to a guided magic mushroom experience, and I was not a drug user. Um, I didn't even know what psilocybin was or why I'd be interested in doing this. Um, and they said, no, you, you want to do this, and I, and I did. I, I had very low expectations. And in that first journey... I reconnected with my mom who died when I was 22. She was 49. And I could I could almost pull a string from her to me to my children. I was like, okay, wait a minute. Maybe she's not gone. Maybe I'm carrying her forward and maybe there's this other thing here. Um, I felt incredibly safe and loved in this first journey. And then in the next instant, realized that I don't normally feel safe and loved in my everyday life. Huh. And that was a huge insight. Um, and again, over six hours, insight after insight after insight, finished that experience and said, I don't, what just happened? <laughs> um, right. Yeah, so I got someone else to run my business, went back to school for that master's, and then started traveling around trying different psychedelics with different types of medicine men. Some of them look like MDs and PhDs. Some of them look like indigenous leaders, um, a, a range of different things, and tried to figure out where how is this helping me on my learning, healing, and growing? And then how do I want to be a part of this moving forward? And that led us to this conversation today. What was the <laughs> timeline
0: between the six-hour journey to the someone's going to run my business and I'm going to do this? Master's? It was months. That's it? Yeah, a few months. So this was such a radical experience that it just did it like completely...
1: I just couldn't believe what I saw. I just couldn't believe. Wow. I mean, I'd given up on I'd given up on any type of spiritual practice. I had given up on I was scared of dying. Um, I was just I was making money for money's sake, building businesses and and just changing the goalpost. I wasn't satisfied at all. And this gave me a glimpse of what could be. And then that's I really wanted to pursue. Okay. What else is out there as I start to explore consciousness? What else do I have to look at in myself mm-hmm. as I explore this? What am I not aware of? Um, and I think these medicines are really powerful. I tell people all the time, psychedelics aren't a cure for anything. They're a catalyst. They they help you remember who you are. They remember a way you used to think before society and your parents and the teachers and the government gave us layers and layers and layers of, of masks. And then with that remembrance and the plasticity that occurs in your brain following the psychedelic, you really have an incredible opportunity to to shift your behavioral patterns to change your thinking patterns as you move into the world. Um, and that's something that I I've, yeah, I've just I've thoroughly enjoyed this process over the past few years, and I'm trying to pass really good information on how you can keep yourself safe as you go about these types of things. Well it's wild to me that one
0: experience completely changed how you oriented to life. So it's that
1: dramatic of a neuroplasticity. Like It really isn't. At all, but I'm not alone in that. I mean Johns no. Hopkins talks about their their research. Most people upwards of 80% of the people who come into their studies will talk about this as being one of the five most important things that's ever happened to them. And what else do we have that's that consistently can do that?
0: Yeah, I agree. And it, you know, I, it makes me think of like when psilocybin was banned, was I think in like the 70s?
1: Yeah, the it? Controlled Substances Act of 1970 really outlawed most psychedelics in America. Um, and then we had MDMA was was outlawed specifically a little bit later. But uh, yeah, that, that particular act, um, which is really not at all based on science, That's shocking. changed the way uh, we were for the last 50 years. We've been told that... All drugs are bad. They're going to fry your brain and they're going to lead to addiction. They had those Reagan ads, Just right? say no. The frying yeah. of the egg. Yep. This is
0: your reign on drugs. Mm-hmm. We got those in Canada. Did you get those up yeah, there? We, we exported those from you guys <laughs> to us and to manifest extra fear. Uh-huh. But yeah, it's isn't it postulated? I might be wrong here, but is it postulated that the reason they brought that in was that it was kind of like uh, the hippies of the time were doing psychedelics, but they were having like radical ideas, like prolific ideations. And there's a fear of that. I mean, I'm that's probably more conspiratorial thinking. Oh, right? I don't think. I mean, but that of, was
1: thought, right? Like absolutely. Nikola Tesla, that kind of stuff. There was an attorney for for the Nixon administration who later said we had two targets. We were targeting black people and the civil rights movements that they were doing, and we were tar- targeting the the anti-war. Um, hippie left, and we knew that if we um, put in harsh penalties with drugs, that we could infiltrate those groups and we could break them up. And um, and they and they said to we. They actually his line was literally, um, did we know it, that it wasn't about the science? Of course we did. Um, it's <laughs> it's it's so fascinating to look back at that moment of history and then see how that even applies to those things that are happening in today's society.
0: Right? Amazing what we what was never created based on fact. becomes this like, this is just the way it is. And then your first, like my first experience on psilocybin, that was like, I took it when I was younger, went camping, stuff Mm -hmm. like that, which was amazing. I mean, I remember feeling so connected to nature. I remember just like, those are very memorable moments. But when I intentionally took it with a ceremony where I played music Mm -hmm. from, I don't think it was the John Hopkins playlist, but like it was another psilocybin playlist on Spotify. It was amazing. Like I remember crying through it, and like having these just amazing t- connecting to people's energy, you know, via whatever intranet. Mm-hmm. Um, I like I had two friends come up for me during it, and I reached out to them after, and they had I had felt like they needed some sort of support, and they did. So it was like this really cool. Yeah, I was forever touched by it, and and that's why when I journey, I'm very intentional now. But what I find is that. Yeah, you can't help but have one of those experiences and not feel connected
1: to what people might call God or or whatever. Yeah, I think there's there's the interconnectedness of all things. I mean, especially in a society right now that's lonely, that feels isolated, that feels scared. Um, to know and to remember that you're not alone, um, that you're you're connected to not only all of us as as fellow travelers, but we're not separate and apart from nature. We are nature. And I think medicines like psilocybin really, really bring that home. Um, And then other psychedelics like uh, sassafras or MDMA um, help us feel love for ourselves and feel love for others and to remember that, um, that we are loved and that we are enough. And for so many people, they just haven't felt that mm-hmm. in a long time and
0: these awaken that these, these like awaken give them that. a vehicle or a pathway to access these
1: emotions that have been suppressed or repressed yeah it's been covered over that and and to remember that that way of thinking um i mean truly as, as we get older we get into repetitive thinking patterns um so the analogy i talk about all the time is if we're skiing down the mountain every time we go down the mountain we we ski in the exact same track to the point of when we begin our 40s and our 50s we can't leave the tracks at all and the psychedelics dump fresh powder on the mountain and we remember oh wow i can ski this way i can ski that way again not a cure it's a catalyst it's a remembrance so now you know that you remember that and your brain is in a state of plasticity so then what are you going to do with that information and then we all manifest our our um, I, our repetitive thinking in different ways. For mm-hmm. some of us, it's it's how we eat. For others, it manifests in, in feeling depressed or in feeling anxious. Uh, uh, it can be smoking, it can be alcohol. It can be so many different things. Okay, but I don't have to think of it that way. So then what do I want to do? Well, maybe I don't want to drink so much or maybe I don't want to gamble or maybe I don't want to um, repress these emotions and then you can move forward and do those things. What did you find was the
0: most like as you did this research and went out on the road and mm-hmm. tried all these different modalities? Was there any one that really stood out to you as having the most significant?
1: Um, wow, it's a really that's an interesting question. I, I, I think I look at these medicines for different purposes. So let me explain it this way. Yeah, um, I'd love to hear the different ways you see them. A lot of the um, churches that I talk to. Um, and so, of the ceremonies that I participate in, follows an arc of experience. So, kind of on day one, you do a heart opener. So, you, you feel that love for yourself and others. And that can be Sassafras or MDMA or whatever that, that church has access to. It turns off shame, blame, and guilt. It allows you to look backwards at different things that have happened in your life and just to really think about your role in making that happen. You're not a victim. You're a creator. Mm-hmm. So, what was your role in that? It's okay. No, no bad anybody. Just what was it, okay? And how do you want to think about your role moving forward? And then on day two, I like it when when you use a um, an interconnectedness of all things sacrament. So it can be psilocybin. I think that's a really powerful one. It could be wachuma or one of the mescaline based medicines. It can be ayahuasca. Typically, you wouldn't do MDMA and ayahuasca, but again, one of those um, mm-hmm. where again you're not you're not separate and apart from nature. We are all connected. We are all, um, we might look like different waves, but we're part of the same ocean. I think those medicines are all powerful for that. And then I think those medicines allow us to kind of get down to who are we really? Forget the what we do to make money. Forget what we do to for education. Forget what our parents want us to be. Forget what our spouses want us to be. Forget what roles we've assumed. Who are we? Mm-hmm. And I think that medicine is really powerful. For that type of exploration, and then we get into things like a five meo DMT or bufo, one of the non the non duality medicine. Is that the like one they put on your arm? No, that's a cambo. I'm talking about uh, this is the, the the venom of the bufo Avarius toad. You've not tried. this? I've heard Even, it. I've never okay. tried it. It's a it's a um, super short, like a ten to twenty minute experience. That's it? Yeah, um, from the time you inhale it to your into this experience is under 10 seconds. And then it lasts about 10 to 20 minutes. How long does the 10 to 20 minutes feel like? For a lifetime. Like an eternity. It's, it's, and unlike any other psychedelic, in this one, there's no subject and object, um, which again, is so hard. It's hard to explain, yeah, but it's like- um,
0: We should have done some and then talked about There we him. go. That would have been, that's yeah. the next, next show. Put the mic on.
1: <laughs> what is this like? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I talk about it as a- you dissolve into math. You just become energy. There's no you. There's <laughs> no math. place. Yeah, that's fine. You funny. just become
0: energy. You're like a, a beautiful mind. You're the chalkboard. Exactly. You are the chalkboard. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, and and we we talk in the again the ceremonial ceremonial spaces. This is like your private conversation with your with your sacred. Yeah. Um, I've never. I knew what the low end of my emotional register was. I, was, I mean, when my mom died. That was um. That's sad as I've ever been. Yeah, um, and I thought having my children and getting married—I thought there, there are other high points in my life, but nothing, nothing even in the same zone as the the feeling of love and safety that uh, that I've experienced with with Bufo or five meo DMT.
0: Really? Yeah. So there's something about so if you were doing it in that order, because mm-hmm. you were talking about the like the methodology we mm-hmm. might use the heart opener. Then the something interconnectedness that brings, of all yeah. things, and then and the non-duality. Then non-duality, mm-hmm. which I guess those are kind of similar, aren't they? Interconnectedness of all things, yeah, and it then can non-duality.
1: be. It can be. How do
0: you differentiate those experiences?
1: I still in the interconnectedness. I'm of asking all you things, to put words yeah, to something that can't be. Can't I, be I, done. I get that. Yeah, I think in the interconnectedness of all things. You're still thinking in terms of things.
0: Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> these are trees,
1: yeah. or these are molecules, or these are stories. And with Bufo, there's just feeling. There's just it. There's just it, it just is. Mm-hmm. So there's a being that you experience. I'm not sure if it's an. It's actually I would say it's not a being. It's a. Um, it's an energy. It's and and I think for me it's that it's not a hierarchical. It's not something beyond. It's inside that I've I have this inside of me. That I can tap into, and and again, that's I think that's one of the powers of psychedelics is you can have these experiences, and then you can get to those states just doing meditation and doing different things that out after that because you have something to point to, so you know what it feels like to feel energy shooting out of your hands. Yeah. So that when you achieve that in meditation, it's like, oh, I know what the, I recognize this. This is familiar.
0: Yeah, like you access a different way of feeling that. When you can do it in the 3D realm, like without psychedelics, you're like, oh, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. In your five, cause this is five years that you've been deep dive, really. This is
1: my whole world
0: these days. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah what was that like for the people around you? Like you went from this guy who's like, were you linear minded at the time? I was
1: such, I mean, I was a control. as was an entrepreneur. I built multiple companies. I've sold businesses. I'm, I'm very much the guy who is like, okay, this is the plan. This is what we're going to do this quarter and how we're going to break it down into little bite-sized pieces. <laughs> yeah. This is what you're going to do. We're this gonna this what I'm going to sell you this. Gonna, yeah, yeah, we're going to knock this out. I think if you were to ask the people who I'm closest to, so you talk to my wife, you talk to my kids, I think I'm a, I know, I don't think I know, I'm a better husband, I'm a better father, I'm a better friend, I'm a better brother for, uh, for going through these processes. Did you feel for yourself after your psilocybin experience that it changed either your awareness or your, the way you interact with the world?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I'd already been quite on that journey of, of self-reflection mm-hmm. and my work was this work already when I had the more intentional medicine mm-hmm. ceremonies of like teaching relationship. And I think it reminded me, it was like, I think experiences with psilocybin and and things like that i think we forget we get caught up in the drama of the world we Mm -hmm. the things that we think are real are things like social media and like the internet and tv and movies and music which not that there's no value to any of those things but they actually become um we forget about this we forget Mm -hmm. about this we forget about like ourselves and uh I think for sure it allowed me to remember. All right, I'm about to drop some fun February facts on you. Are you ready? Now, February comes from the Latin word februa, which means to cleanse. This symbolizes new blessings and beginnings. The month's birthstone is an amethyst, which represents courage and strengthening relationships. That seems pretty apropos. February is also considered the month of love because of Valentine's Day. So in light of all that love, Let's talk about Organifi's Glow. It's a delicious raspberry lemonade blend loaded with herbs and superfoods that encourages the creation of collagen and moisturizes your skin from the inside out. I love Glow and so does my wife Kylie because it's perfect for hydrating your skin and hair, which can definitely get dry in the winter months. Kylie also loves that it keeps her nails healthy and strong and her hair thicker. That's gonna be a bit of a problem for me. It's so good on its own or you can add it to Organifi's green and red juices. In it, it's got tremella, which is known as the beauty mushroom. It increases skin elasticity and moisture. It also has acerola cherry, which is a tropical superfruit and powerful antioxidant rich in vitamin C. It has amla, which is an antioxidant rich fruit shown to increase collagen production and support healthy skin and hair. And it has bamboo silica, which is an essential mineral necessary for collagen synthesis. So if you've been looking for a high quality collagen supplement that will give you a healthy boost this February, Glow is for you. Use the code create the love for 20% off glow and all of Organifi's other amazing products at Organifi.com slash create the love. You know, you were asking me earlier, like before we hit record, like I'm going to the Amazon in a week and like, what is my intention? And as you were talking about just that experience of a self that like below the layers of the programming of who you're told to be of who. Uh, and I was saying to you, well, really one of the intentions I have is just to sort of feel what needs to be more revealed. But as you were sharing, when we hit record, uh, what I heard too, that was interesting to me is like, I didn't realize that even in the act of starting to write about relationships and teach about relationships, that was a massive revealing for me, right? Like, I'm sure your journey of Mm -hmm. talking about psilocybin and like- I'm no longer an entrepreneur, but I am an entrepreneur, but it's not you anymore. And for me that I didn't realize in the sort of revealing of what I most vulnerably want to talk about, teach, et cetera, there's still an identity that was formed that then when something wants to shift from that, I'm still the, I've now become just a different form of ego or a different form of identity. So that's, I think there's like a real curiosity to what I might find in the interconnectedness
1: To all things, how do you check that in your everyday life? So you're a teacher of relationships, a teacher of emotion. How does that work with your wife?
0: Well, you're constantly learning. There's no Mm -hmm. doubt about that. My wife's very like introspective in the Mm -hmm. same realm of the work. We wrote a book together about it. Well, there's a high level of accountability because, like, for me, I'm like, how do you teach something you don't do? Mm -hmm. So it is part of my. A lot of people try to do that. What's that? Uh,
1: Teach something they don't do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And for me, I think that was one of the gateways to me getting into integrity in every area of my life that I could see that I was out of Mm -hmm. was because I knew that if I put pen to paper and said, this is something I know to be true about relationship based on my experience, then I can't now not do it. You know what I mean? There's like a level of accountability that comes ideally comes. And I think that words when they're lived are different. Like if you weren't actually experiencing all the things you were you just you know read that these things did this or you know (laughs) um it would be very different and i think there's a lot of teaching that comes from like the intellect like i read this in a book this is how it works versus like which if someone learned about depression and they learned about uh antidepressants they'd be like oh you're depressed here's the solution to depression it's this drug it's Try meditation. You probably won't do very good at it. Just use this drug. You know, but because you've now experienced the plethora of emotions and walked your way through it, you're like, wait, sure, there's a place sometimes. But like, hey, you can actually heal. And you aren't, you know, that that experience. What do you think?
1: I think you're, it's, it's really interesting. I think why... Again, three ways people meet psychedelics, medical, decrim, and religious. Why is religious taking off? And it's it's such a a heavy word in our culture. Religious. I think yeah. so. And I think people are leaving churches in droves and um, people are, 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 in many cases, tired of the moral preaching. Um, I think they're tired both of the moral preaching of the church and the medical sedation of the medical community. And here with psychedelics, you have, you, in many cases, times you don't have a dogma there's no one saying you need to believe this and i'm going to tell you why this is right mm-hmm. it's a direct spiritual experience and that you then emerge with a knowing that's different it's not theoretical it's experiential that's interesting and i think that's part of what's making the spiritual side of psychedelics so powerful right now would win our can everywhere we look we're being like the, the kids and adults are being prescribed antipsychotics mood stabilizers antidepressants um with really no path to ever get off of these medicines um we don't have a we don't have the resources and it's so sad, sad. it's sad it is sad
0: and like what's wrong with the circumstances of the world that that is actually normalizing it's like um I saw that, I think it's the American College of Pediatrics, but a pediatric organization just started. They used to say that with obesity with children, you would just watch and wait. Now they're saying treat early. This just came out. And I'm like, what is happening? Like, What's going on with our food system? that That's a problem. What's going on with our food system also on the impact of mental health, of course, right? Like sugar and processed foods. And the WHO just had a study come out saying that Actually, highly processed foods can be really good for kids. It's like, what is happening? But I say all that because, you know, what you're saying about religion, because I think it's all correlated, is that there is an exhaustion to the sort of continued things that aren't working that we're being told are the way. Much like religion, which I think there's an interesting perspective. Like the most brilliant thing that the church ever did was teach us that they were the broker between us and God. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. But when you do psilocybin, there's no broker. Mm-mm. You are God. You experience God. Even the idea of saying you are God to a lot of people is blasphemous. Absolutely. So you're a prophet? That can't be. Can't, yeah. What does well, that so mean? So now you're Christ. Right. Oh. Uh-huh. I'm like, well actually, <laughs> you know, that's do you think that we are in a space where there is like a Actually, maybe I'll say this better. I hope it's better. <laughs>
1: <laughs> It'll be different.
0: Yeah. In It seems as though the relationship that is shown to us as being spiritual, like through a church, through whatever, is actually void of authentic, true access to like a non-judgmental spiritual connection,
1: right? And certainly there are a number of traditions that I think would fall into the judgmental... Yes, yeah. I think would fall into that category.
0: Sure. Yeah, so then... Due to that, and you're saying like there's a large exit from it because of the moralization and all the things, shame that happens and guilt. That we are in a state where we are in like psychedelics are here and we are like, oh man, we need a solution to whatever is the abs- the thing that's absent in my life.
1: You know what I'm saying? I totally know what you're saying. So again, we look around and we say, we know loneliness is, is profound. Prevalent uh, is, is everywhere. We know depression, anxiety are in the rise. Suicide is on the rise. Life expectancy is declining. Yeah. Um, you're talking about what you put in your body and it's interesting to think in terms of everything we consume. So are we spending enough time consuming sun? Are we spending enough time, um, getting sleep? Are we, what is, what are the shows and the games that we are watching? Um, what does mm-hmm. it feel like to know every day that there are nuclear weapons pointed at our heads to what is it like for this generation who's going to school knowing and practicing school shooter drills? That's that crazy. It has to take a toll on, and then we, we wonder why are kids feeling, experiencing depression and anxiety and having panic attacks? There's a lot of pressure on them. Whether we talk about it or not, that's out there. We Then we say, well, these kids, they, those kids have attention deficit disorder. Well, there's 30 of them in a classroom with one teacher. That's not a great way to learn. <laughs> <So> <laughs> right, that ratio right. seems off. And, and they're are, sitting in a desk all day. You yeah. Know. Yeah. Because that's where we're training factory workers still. Right. Um, so all those things are happening. And then they go to church and there's the cultural element. They're just not for many. It just doesn't, there's no feeling. It's just something I have to do.
0: Yeah, it's not a uh, spiritual ceremonial practice, although it's supposed to be rooted in that. It is. It is
1: rooted. It's just. um, I think for many, it's it's lost its path. And again, and and I'm speaking in generalities. Of course, there are spiritual practices that are that are deep. So then, so now, where are we? Well, we were talking again before you hit record about what an amazing time to be alive. But all the metrics um, in terms of our mm-hmm. ability to eat and our ability to be secure and, and the probability of, of violence happening to us, all those things are, it is not perfect, but a great time to be alive. So I I'm, i believe that all this stuff is converging for a reason. We yeah. have these medicines, they're becoming more available where we're the stigma on mental health, something has to change. We're tired tired of moral preaching, we're tired of medical sedation, and we have resources and we have challenges with with things happening in the environment and um and challenges between borders we we have some some adapting that we need to do as a, as a species um so i think it's going to be a fascinating time coming up it's here. it's an adventure it is an adventure
0: where would someone start with this and what would be sort of the greatest fears that someone would need to overcome to even sort of venture in
1: this so so I think I'd first say that anyone still listening to this podcast, you're listening for a reason. You're listening out of a, there's a curiosity that's there. And now maybe it's not for you. Maybe it's for someone you love. Um, maybe it's just because it, you want to think about how you're going to vote in the next election with some of these ballot initiatives <laughs> happening. But all that's all that's important. I think there are some people who who are going to say, I want to get started and I want to do it 100% legally in America. So for them, they're going to need to go find a ketamine provider. Um, there's others that are going to say, I want to go do a, a psychedelic tourism experience. I'm going to go down with you to the Amazon. Or I'm going to go to Mexico. Or I'm going to go to the Netherlands, uh, Jamaica, and, and do one of these. And there's going to be others who are going to try to find a, 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 a psychedelic church in their area. The questions are really the same that the participant needs to ask their provider because it is definitely buyer beware for all. All three models. And I, and I can't stress that enough. There's, and I'm gonna use medical for a minute. Again, now we're now we're talking legal to legal. There are ketamine kin- clinics out there where you're gonna go in and a nurse anesthesiologist will greet you and she'll take your vitals and she'll hook you up to an IV and you'll have a ketamine experience and then you'll recover and they'll send you home. Perfectly legal. There are others where they're gonna prepare you in advance. What's your intention? You're gonna come into more of a living room type environment. They're going to put a blanket and music and a mask and guide you through a a ketamine experience. And then afterwards, they're going to help you integrate what came up for you. Um, Both are legal, radically different philosophies on whether one believes this is just biochemical. Give you the medicine and you'll be healed. And the other group says it's a biochemical, psychosocial, spiritual model. So you as the consumer have to ask the question, what am I getting here? Maybe you the first one is fine for you because you can supplement it with other things on your own. That's beautiful. So I'm not saying one is right and one is wrong. I'm saying you as a consumer need to ask the questions. Mm-hmm. Um, Johns Hopkins talks about source, set, and setting. So source is where did your drugs come from? Ketamine, we know that's a, sorry, medical ketamine. That's a pharmacy. Great, we can check that off. Anyone else, where do their drugs come from and do they test them? Set is your mindset. So are you ready for this? Are you doing this because you wanna do this? Or are you doing this because someone has asked you to do this? Um, My recommendation, if you don't really want to do whatever psychedelic you're thinking about, don't do it. It's not the right time. What else goes into set? Um, Do you have a clear intention for the experience? Have you thought about your resources? Who can support you after the experience? So that's all kind of your mindset. And then setting is the physical environment. Do you want a clinic? And do you want it to be more of a living room? Do you have control of the sound? Do you have control of the people? Do you have control of of the space? Or are you going to be interrupted by kids or dogs or neighbors? That's all that the setting. Um, it and, yeah, and it can be awful to be interrupted when you're doing your work. Yeah. And then also your, the rules of engagement fall into that. So um, again, many of the better, pre- you, you can ask your provider, is anyone going to talk to me when I'm under the influence? Or I, if, I'm, if I'm in the room in a group ceremony, are the other people are allowed to engage with me? Is anyone going to touch me? Finding all that out in advance so that you know what you're walking into. How many people are going to be in the room with me? I love ceremonies with like 20 people, 10 to 20. There are others who believe in 40. There's others who believe in 80 or 100. So again, I'm not saying they're wrong, but at least you should know what you're getting into. Yeah, like what's your preference? What's your preference? Yeah. So those are all good questions to, again, ask medical. Medical's doing group academy now. So how many people? Are you giving me music? What's going to be the um, what's the intention and what's the integration work? You can now buy uh, psilocybin online, can't you? Not here in America. Oh, really? Sorry, let me try that again. You can. It's just not legal. Um, there's lots of Instagram sellers. There's some Canadian companies who are selling and, and shipping across the border, but but psilocybin is, is a class one, schedule one uh, medicine com- com- drug here in America, and it's it's not legal. Period. Um, And then the churches that say we're operating legally, they believe they are operating under the First Amendment and the religious freedom, but they don't have a religious exemption from the DEA. Um, Only three churches in America do. There's a Native American church and two ayahuasca churches, Um, and they sued and sued and sued to get those. The DEA has never voluntarily granted an exemption as of yet, and we're hoping that's going
0: to change next year. Is there some sort of radical or rapid change in legislation that's expected?
1: There is a lawsuit, uh, sorry, a criminal case um, that is supposed to happen next year that we think that's gonna change the exemption process here in America. So, we're, we're, so everybody is watching it this. To change yeah, because people, I think, I think a number of these churches want the exemption. They wanna have a straightforward discussion with the government and say, okay, what do you care about? So, and how can we help keep our participants, our congregations safe? Um, And how can we get access to as pure of medicine as possible? So I think the churches really want to practice the sincere religious belief openly. Um, And we're not quite there yet as a country. It's funny, I mean, in the old days, um, there was just healer. And the healer was a medicine man (laughs) and and a spiritual leader. And we in Western society have really separated those roles from pure science to pure religion. And it's it's totally fair to say, okay, well, he gave psychedelics to just the clergy, that they might not have the latest information about our brains and bodies to keep us safe. Um, But conversely, the medical community doesn't have the latest spiritual um, knowledge. So how do we reconcile the medical and the spiritual how do we come out into the open so that both can practice for adults who want to practice that they can do so with the latest scientific and spiritual information that's available to to, uh, to keep themselves into, uh, safe and to optimize that experience
0: how might someone know that these processes could be beneficial to them you mean psychedelics
1: as a whole yeah i, I guess i'll, I'll I can give this to academia. I think, I think they've done a great job in the media in this particular case of talking about all the different things that psychedelics are having positive effects in. So it's everything from depression, from experiencing depression and anxiety, OCD, eating disorders, substance use challenges, behavioral um, manifestations, like, 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 uh, gambling, or overeating, autism. Um, I just came back from, a. Both Wonderland in Miami and the Psychedelic Science Conference in Denver, and there's a beautiful group doing work with autism psychedelics, and these these these, um, and and they're tied into uh, you know they're tied into a year old uh, University of Toronto is doing research with them. Oh, really? Um, so cool. Or they'll say, "I couldn't read emotion until uh, uh, psychedelics helped me unlock that." And then there's other this other person who's part of the organizers would say, um. I couldn't express, I couldn't, my family didn't understand how much I love them because I couldn't express it. And, and psychedelics helped me understand that. And actually this other person I was just that's talking so cool. to talked about him. Um, he said, most of my life I lived in a panic attack. Not I had panic attacks from time to time. I lived most of my life in a panic attack. And he said, MDMA showed him that that's not how he had to live. And that now his, he has a once a year ritual where he will do MDMA to remind himself of what it feels like to be completely not have any panic. And then that can carry, that gives him enough of a light post to, or a lighthouse to to, to point towards during the rest of the year. Wow. I've heard of that, of
0: like someone who's experienced a chronically depressive state, never known joy, Mm -hmm. and then experiences MDMA and is like, oh, I actually have permission. I can access this. I didn't even know this feeling existed because it's not in my category because I got rid of it when I was maybe an infant.
1: Or, 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 they, or we all, we're so used to what it feels like to have anxiety. And when anxiety lifts off your shoulders, even if it's just for a few hours, an hour for ketamine, six hours for psilocybin, 12 hours with LSD, um, it's such a, like, I forgot what it feels like to not have the anxiety and it's freeing. Yeah. Um, and we don't, and it's, and it, we think about this oftentimes for the young, uh, the, the, the teenagers doing this. This is amazing medicine at 50, at 70, um, as we're hitting midlife, as we're hitting the last chapter to completely change again, how we look and interact with the world. I love this also for the, uh, the people in the active state of dying, um, how it doesn't change the prognosis, but it changes their, how they look at death and, and how they take advantage of the time that's left. And then for those witnessing people in the active state of dying, how it changes the relationship between the parties. Um, really? Yeah, it's There's good data. So in there. beautiful. They study that now. There is, um, there is data being done on the active participant. Um, uh, Johns Hopkins, Yale, uh, NYU, UCLA, a number of studies being done on that. This is wild, actually. Um, again, eighty-ish uh, percent radical reductions in depression and anxiety. Top five things in their life. They did a follow-up study to one of the big ones four and a half years later. 80% of the 80% was still feeling the effects. So they were still positively orienting mm-hmm. to the world because of that. Because of that one experience within that case, it's uh, it's psilocybin I'm referring to. But, uh, but I'd like to see more studies on the families. I can talk anecdotally. I can talk about what I've seen in the ceremonial world about parents and kids, parents meaning people in their 70s and 80s and kids meaning 50s, doing these journeys together and how it changes. Because I think when you remember, shame is a construct. There's no need to, what happened, happened. Where you are is where you are. So if you need to say something to somebody, you need to tell them that you love them, you need to tell them that you tried, you need to tell them that you did the best that you knew how to do, it's time to do those things. It yeah, like
0: uh, opens that opens capacity. that door
1: on both sides. It also opens the door to hear it, to understand it, to empathize. Hmm, yeah, that's so important. Yeah, both sides could change, which is again, going back to the work you do, I think why MDMA with couples is so powerful. Takes away, again, shame, blame, and guilt. You could look at your, your partner and say, I love you so much. And when you do this, <laughs> it brings this up for me. Mm-hmm. And the other person, instead of getting defensive, can say, oh my goodness, I love you so much. I never wanted you to feel that way. And I can see that how, the, I can understand how it does that. And then again, it doesn't cure it, but it shows the way so that after the psychedelic, that's something you both have parties, you have a different template.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. How do you, there's a lot of conversation about microdosing.
1: Mm-hmm. Where might microdosing fit in? And what does it even look like? Okay. So for, for those listening, microdosing is, is when you take a 10th to a 20th of a, of a high dose, um, psychedelic and you typically would do it. There there's, there's two protocols. There's the Fatiman protocol, which says you do it on day one. It's still in your body. on day two, you let it out on day three, you repeat on day four. You do that for four weeks. And you take a two week break. the so, way you do it three days in a You do it day one, day four, and you repeat that pattern ah, for four okay. weeks. Okay. Paul Stamets, the, the famous mycologist, says that's too complicated. Take it four days in a row, take three days off, and then every four weeks, take a two-week break. Um, that break is super important. There's, there, is, there are some studies that say that if you take psilocybin chronically, you could potentially have uh, cardiovascular issues. So, really? So take a two week break every four weeks if you're taking a psilocybin for microdosing.
0: That's interesting.
1: I didn't know that. What kind of cardiovascular? That I can't tell you. I just know there's there's there's, there's a risk sort of cardiovascular. Yep. And do they stack?
0: His stack?
1: He stacks. He, he, he adds some lion's mane and some niacin, and he believes when you take those three things together—psilocybin, lion's mane, niacin—that you have a. You're also helping not just connection and, and 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 alleviate depression, anxiety symptoms, but you're adding dexterity and cognition assistance. Yeah, lines main
0: for that. The niacin is for the flushing, isn't it? I think like so. to get it to the vas to all the periphery of our mm-hmm. vascular system.
1: But and then the research is split on this. There's some research that says this is a placebo. There's other research that says this works. And there's probably just not enough research, period. Um so people who do it swear by it. People who but the science is mixed. And then I I look at this. I think as a culture, it's tempting to say, I was taking antidepressants, so now I'm gonna do microdosing and I'm just replacing one pill with another. I think it can work and I think that can be risky. I would rather see someone, and this is my opinion, so take it for what's worth. um, I would rather see someone come into a high dose ceremony with preparation in front, weeks of integration afterwards, um, working with whether it's a coach or a therapist or a community group, do the deep work, do the deep exploration, and then if they choose to use um, microdosing as a scaffolding afterwards, I think that can be incredibly powerful. But I think those high-dose sessions taken in super-structured environments, I think are where the biggest learning outcomes um, hmm.
0: occur. What's a high-dose? Like if it was psilocybin, like five grams? Yeah, four to five. The god what do they call that? The god dose? The, the hero hero dose is yeah, what They uh, they, uh, they, dose, they, they
1: people call we're trying to change the language to just a high dose. There's no hero <laughs> here. You don't need to be a hero. <laughs> yeah. yeah totally. um, anything funny. but I think above three point five would
0: be considered a high dose of, of psilocybin. What's the difference like, lot, like what happens? Do you become more nothing? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Different people um, have different react differently. So for some people, three and a half grams is plenty, and for others, they might need seven or eight to get to the same level. Um, again, we always um, typically recommend you start lower. You can always add, and and you work your way up. But for for most people, four to five grams is a is a pretty high dose of, of this uh, of that particular medicine.
0: Who might use microdoses? Like who might that yeah. be indicated for?
1: As you know, it's I guess it doesn't
0: have an indication. It doesn't but, have an indication. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm using legal language. There it we is go. not <laughs> indicated for any. That. That's my pharma
1: background. It's um I mean there's so there's certainly a ton of people in Silicon Valley who believe it helps them be more creative. It helps them solve more problems in the workplace, and they're doing it because of a uh, of a human optimization angle. Great, beautiful. There's others who have gone tired of the side effects with antidepressants and feel that it makes the blues bluer and the grays less gray, and they're doing it for, for that reason. That could, so that could look like depression or anxiety. There's others who want to feel more love and invite more love and uh, into their lives, and they're doing it for that. And there's others you talked about feeling like feeling connected to the earth with your psilocybin journey. There's people who feel when you know when I take a little microdose. I can hear the birds more. I can see the trees mm. more. I pay more attention. We have, uh, we, we talk about that green wall so much time we're in nature, but we're not really paying attention. It's just green. Yeah. And we don't stop enough and look at it. Wow. That's beautiful. I didn't even notice how beautiful that was. So I want to go back to you. You're, you're, you're going, you're doing a big journey here and, and you, you've talked about intention. I don't, but I, I think what I'm still missing in our question is why now? Like what sparked that you're going to do this. You're going to take time off. You're going to fly all the way to South America. You're going to do this. Why now for you?
0: I think it was a uh, opportunity, like one for sure. Cause my friend who does it, like I'm going with a small group instead. He mm-hmm. normally takes really big groups. Um, and I have felt called to do it, mm-hmm. but I've not had the opportunity. Like I didn't want to do it in large groups. Uh, I didn't want to do it with like, a bunch of people I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Um, That was more of like the comfort thing. that's your personal preference. Yeah. And when it was presented, I got excited. So I was like... You could feel the energy in your body about this. Yeah, I could feel this. Uh I remember when my wife and I, we previously broke up. And we broke up, when we broke up, we did a closing ceremony to close our old relationship. And... In that ceremony, I remember I like Googled closing ceremonies. What is that? Because, you know, we wanted to intentionally end
1: it. Conscious uncoupling.
0: Yeah. And I was like, do other crazy people do this? (laughs) But when I drove up to our house to do it,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I was like, I don't know that I want to do this. And I asked myself, do I not want to do it because I just genuinely don't want to right now? Or do I not want to do it because the part of me that can do this doesn't exist yet? Like, do I not want to do it because it's going to require my expansion and and something to be born, to die? Mm-hmm. And that's the same feeling I had about this, was like, I always just ask that similar sort of inquiry. Do I not want to do this because I just genuinely don't? And the first time I got offered to do it, I genuinely didn't. But with this, I was like, no, I do want to. And it's like, also the adventure sounds pretty crazy. I'm like going to the jungles of Peru. Where my buddy's like.
1: With the tribal people to experience an indigenous ceremony. Yeah. Like. Yeah.
0: From beautiful. The, like these people who've trained their whole lives. That's what mm-hmm. they do. Like. Since they were
1: kids, they, they start the training. Yeah. First.
0: Do you know about that process? Maybe mm-hmm. you could share a bit of it because it is like a very. The did, we, relationship did we talk about have the medicine the too?
1: Did you say it out loud? What, what you're doing down there?
0: No, 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 no! I'm going to be journeying uh, okay. on ayahuasca, okay. and then um, I can't remember the name of the other one, but it's like Boganzana
1: or something like that. I mean, it's it's these these uh, in many cases these villages start their their group ceremonies. The entire village is out um, taking ayahuasca at the same time. In many cases, so like the, their kids running around, they're taking a little teeny tiny teeny bit and there are adolescents who are taking more and there's teenagers in training who are, are learning how to serve and there's the the ceremonial leaders and it's and it's a community activity um and they're doing this not once a year or once a life they're doing it i don't know once a month or uh, much more regularly than we talk about here in this this yeah, culture their
0: relationship to the earth and the plants and totally the, different it's like it's it's their immersion, it's not special, it just is like I'm going there to go do, but this is just their life,
1: yeah, and I think it can be both though. I think it's still special for them. It's just not as unusual as it might be yeah. for you, um, and it's not as extraordinary as it is for us when we do this um and then this particular medicine is is it's two different um plants that are boiled down together, and then you're gonna drink this thing, and it's uh how did they even figure that out? There's a couple of different theories. The um I think cuz one's uh, like a bark and the other one's, one's a vine. Yeah. Um I think Dennis McKenna. I like his the way he here he he theorizes that it was um the the beer makers down there. And they were just—they're used to experimenting, and they had the bark and the vines and their bag of tricks. And at some point, they brought them together, and it created this positive effect. And like, oh, we should do more of this. Um, but there are other people who say, nope. The 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 plants reached out and taught them how to do this. Um, just different theories. I think Dennis McKenna is he spent a decent amount of time down there with his brother uh, Terrence. And oh, Terrence McKenna, yeah, mm-hmm. him and his—I didn't know his, he had a brother named Dennis. He did. There's a, he was deep in the same. Deep in the same work. And they had some really wild adventures down there before Dennis went back to school to get his uh, PhD. Um, yes, yeah, so really, really interesting uh, experiences back when nobody was doing this type of work. Yeah,
0: that's when like, Ram Ramdas was doing it with them and like touring the even, world. And, like th- To be a fly on some of those Holy walls, cow. Can you imagine? Can't even imagine, no. So... Yeah, that, so part of the ceremony too is that this is what the plants, the plants that we're supposed to do.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: The shaman asks, which ones will this group be doing? Mm -hmm. And then the plants, I think it's the plants that tell them. But then when we get there and we go harvest it, we ask permission and the plants sometimes say no. So I might not be doing it. Who knows? We'll find out. I'm like, that's so interesting. Like, I love that there's this constant layer of like, does the plant consent to the journey? Like, because the plant has the intelligence to know for me, you know, even though my intention might be to go there and the group too, like, d- does this serve the
1: group? So that's, just,
0: to me, it's I'm really like, this is really cool. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Super cool adventure. And we don't, we don't talk a lot about the intelligence of plants in our culture. No. Um, I mean, we know there's, well, there's been experiments. We certainly have experiments with trees and how trees can talk to other trees and share nutrients b- b- between them. But um, there's also been kind of Pavlovian experiments with plants where, okay, we, we can, if there, there's a plant with a root and you put water on one side and no water, it'll find the water. And if you then just do the sound of the water, it can then find the sound of the water. Or it'll move towards the sound. Uh-huh. It's I mean, they, they're smart. They're just different.
0: It's like when we, compl- like, don't they like
1: set two plants
0: and you like speak love to one and hate yep. to the other and it actually impacts the growth. Absolutely. And you think of the impact on people. But like that happens on these, the energy that we send. I think what's interesting about things like psilocybin and psychedelics in general is that because we don't really understand why and how they could be sometimes dramatically more effective than these products that have gone through clinical trials that have demonstrated some efficacy. That we don't understand this, and because we don't understand this, it can't be better than the thing that we are scientifically rigorously studying. It's the arrogance of of the human mind
1: it is, and that we've turned away from these uh shamanic practices because we know better we've progressed past that, yeah um which is it's just funny that uh and, and I guess we also we also have a culture where um there's a lot of money in antidepressants and and, and antipsychotics and so on, yeah. and it's it is complicated with these medicines that you don't take every day, and they grow in nature. How do you profit from those? So there's money in the services for 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 the medicalization of like psychedelics, the ketamine or the yeah, and the practitioners and the guides and the musicians and the chefs and the centers and the insurance and oh, there's lots of money in those things. But in the drugs, and, we, and I'll use um, maps so with true. MDMA. They have been, they have—they Rick Doblin, who's the head of that organization, started the process of getting MDMA to be re-legalized, I believe it was 1986. So what, 37 years ago? And he has raised over $150 million to get MDMA, not all, but mostly from contributions. Like private donors. Mm-hmm to get this re-legalized. Re- so it costs a ton of money to get to this point. And um, again, just for your audience who, who don't, doesn't know, they, they did, they've gone through two rounds of phase three clinical trials. They were working with people with treatment resistant post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, so picture veterans, first responders, victims of sexual assault, who have tried all of the different uh, pharmacological solutions that are out there, all the different talk therapies and nothing's worked. They gave them three sessions with MDMA with therapy before and after 67% no longer qualified as having PTSD following that. And 88% had a clinically significant improvement in symptoms. These are off the chart numbers. Yeah. So I, I bring that up to hold. We can all kind of hold in our hands. Wow. This can be, this can do a lot of good. But holy cow, it costs a lot of money to get something legal in America. So what is going to happen with a psilocybin or an Ibogaine um, or uh, an ayahuasca or a DMT when we don't have $150 million to make it legal? Um, And hopefully someone's going to figure this out for the medical model. And there are people trying to figure this out, of course. And hopefully we have a decriminalization model and hopefully we have a religious freedom model and that people find access in these different places where they don't have to go down to Peru or Mexico or, or Jamaica to experience the power of, the, of these medicines. And that they don't actually have to say, I need a diagnosis. I need you to tell me that I'm depressed enough to be allowed to do this, that I just want to explore my consciousness. I just want to see what else is out there. And that should be a reason enough to take these types of medicines.
0: Mm. Even that exploration of consciousness. Like I think we live in such a linear experience, like our world or, acad- you know, growing up, you go to school, you do the, it's like, ch- 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 ch, your life is planned. You're, this is what you're supposed to do by every age, that you forget about this exploration of the mystery. And coming back to even the experience of spirituality and God, it's like we we are often disconnected from even the idea of God. Because for me, God meant guilt. Mm. Like I grew up Catholic, you know? And so it meant guilt. It meant you should feel bad if you experience any form of arousal. Like there, everything was, God was not where I went to be expanded. It was like the source of the attempt to control my behavior, you know? And so now we have, when I even thought about the exploration of consciousness, I didn't go say that to all my friends I grew up with.
1: <laughs> have has having so you have an eight-month-old, right? Yeah. So has this have you started to think about how you're raising? Have you and your wife talked about how are you gonna raise this beautiful boy?
0: Yeah, lots of conversations about, you know, like where where do we want him to go to school? Like, how mm-hmm. do we want him to be educated? You know, much like you said, you know, we're still our education system is is really predicated on the idea of training people to think a certain way and factory workers, and like, I want my son or, or if we have more kids too to experience diverse thought and and be immersed in nature. Mm-hmm. Like so many of these schools, they're like, I remember being on the ski hill in Whistler and this kid on the chairlift beside me. I was like, Why aren't you in school? I was just joking with him. He's like, I am in school. I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, oh, I'm going, our class is going up because we're doing physics and we're like studying avalanches. And I was like. That's pretty cool. That's immersive. You're yeah. going to remember everything to do with physics because of that. You know, so that kind of thing. Yeah. I'll be interested to see. I have not done a psychedelic since I had a son though. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, did you notice your kids come up a lot in your experience? Absolutely. every uh, In a lot of your experiences? Most of
1: the experiences. Yeah.
0: Really? What sort of. Comes up.
1: Oh, I've had a number of things. I've had, um so we were talking about panic attacks earlier. My daughter um, has had a, seri- a number of panic attacks. And one of my journeys, um, she and I were riding in a like an old, like a 1970s funhouse where everything was just wasn't so much that it was scary. It was just off. It was just a little bit creepy. And then every now and again, we'd turn around a bend and something would jump out and scare the crap out of us. And in that journey, I asked her, um, is this what Living with panic attacks feel like. And she said it was. again, this is on the journey. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, we had a conversation about this. and And I think i I got a different understanding because we do we are two different animals. And uh, I think I got an understanding of what it feels like to live with some of the experiences she's lived with. Mm-hmm. Um, with my son had a couple of different really neat experiences with him, one where he um he chose to just be supportive of uh of a of a of a ceremony where he was helping people go to the bathroom and uh blankets and water bottles and um at one point i opened my eyes and he was standing in front of me and i was able to 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 hug him and to kind of feel like our our dna was like we, i could feel so connected and i was able to say to him i was like my parents both my parents died when i was young and no one gives you an instruction manual on how to be a parent and mm-hmm. I just need you to know that I love you so much and I'm doing the best that I possibly can. And that uh, um, I just need you to know that. And then we hugged some more. And oh, then so he beautiful. went off to go help some other people and I went back on my journey, which is, I think, symbolic of life. We 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 have these moments. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think being aware that they're their own animals is something that the medicines really made me... Um, think about and, and to be aware of how many things that I just assumed was just how it was. Um, we talk about raising the kids as factory workers. We've, we've, I, don't, I never put much thought into the violence of our education system. Of course, we think about violence in terms of school shooting. But I mean, even, even the way grading is done and the competitiveness of it's not just I'm not 4.0 is not good enough. And now I need to take these extra classes. And now I need to worry about my class rank. When well, none of that fosters, I'm going to help you do better. Yeah, because now we're competing each, against each other we're competing against each other at super early ages I need to do really well in kindergarten to get to this particular school and this is going to be a lottery so now I'm having stress on what school I go to that is wild it's wild It's was around when stress. I was young was I don't it around when you like were? this no no but I, was, I it's went it to more a, of an east coast
0: thing like maybe in Canada it's more know. east like Ontario but because there's a uh, not a judgment of Ontario but that it's just older. Like there's a lot of history there. We don't have like in Calgary, the city's a hundred and something years old. The whole city is? Yeah. So there's not like a lot of, maybe a little more, but there's not this, you know, where the cities are three, 400 years old, there's a long line of, I didn't even know what a trust fund was till I came to New York mm. and met someone who had a trust fund. I was like, what's a trust fund? How do I get one of those? <laughs> <I was laughs> like, this sounds great. You're balling. Shit. <laughs> oh, you have to have like a great, 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 great grandfather who started a railroad. Cool. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Or, you know, or whatever it is. But I didn't know all these competitions to get into schools and ranking. I just yeah. found out today at lunch from you that – you can take extra classes to get above a
1: 4.0. So you can be better than perfect. You can be better than perfect. Yeah. And I, and I think the kids, we know the adults are feeling the pressure about, and again, I think it's well-intentioned. They just want their kids to be happy. And and they think that if they have all the things that we didn't have, they're going to be happier. But I think we're, we're in many ways creating just bigger consumers from this generation, who aren't spending the time in nature, who aren't having the uh, the time with their friends, who aren't having the personal interaction, they're doing so many things through a screen, which which has advantages as well in terms of the ability to keep in touch with people. Mm-hmm. But it's less it's less this type of conversation. I mean, I was thrilled when you're like, let's let's do this in person. I'm like, that's so much better. Yeah, it's so, so many much of these better, are man. are remote, and you, it just doesn't feel the same. So I, I, again, I I come back to it's the best time to be alive and these kids are our teachers and we have created this, this world the way it is so that we are all learning lessons every day and that these conversations are happening and, and we have, we've just created, we've just unleashed what, AI in the world? And how does... How, how do we interact with AI in the future? If the facts are done and the ability to, to, to string sentence together is, is done for us, then asking really great questions and creating really great prompts is going to be a way to use that tool for who knows what in the future. And that takes wild to think about raising that. our children outside of a factory model. It's wild.
0: Yeah. I feel like they're through things like psychedelics, through things like, you know, I've interviewed a few, uh, a regenerative farmer, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. there feels like there's a large desire to return back to ceremony, village, family, earth practices, like being in the same space. I, I don't know, man. I feel like all this angst and anxiety is really indicative of being technologically overloaded. Like I think COVID and then the Zoom sort of culture that emerged from that, really exhausted. It's People are tired. And I know in the research, when they look at like on a Zoom call, Mm -hmm. you get really exhausted because in a personal Mm -hmm. conversation, we wouldn't be looking at each other's eyes the whole Mm -hmm. time we're looking around. You know, Mm -hmm. we look in the room, we look at your shoulder or whatever it is. But on a Zoom call, you're like constantly... And so it becomes fatiguing. Mm-hmm. And so that makes sense. But I feel like we're experiencing that on a high level that, that um, you know, there's a uh, hijacking of our presence. And I feel like we're really craving presence. I feel like there's going to be an analog revolution.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think that analog revolution, I think it goes back to the, um, what was it, the Bush administration? There's the no child left behind. That like, it's so important that we all go to college and it, we don't. We didn't talk about how mean. What a strange statement. Does that mean the vocational arts—plumbing, electricity, bricklaying—isn't right. a vocation? Isn't something to be proud of? That you have to go to college to to make your way in yeah. life. You're left behind. You're left behind. Yeah. And it's and so I, I think about again. Computers can do more and more. They can't use our hands the way. A plumber can use their hands. An electrician can use their hands. A potter can use their hands. And I think we're going to have a return to these physical crafts where we, we, we distinguish ourselves from the machines through our ability to use our hands. Like the uniqueness things. of the arts. Mm-hmm. That's true. Getting back mm-hmm. into that creative space.
0: And I could talk to you all day. <laughs> um, if we're going to approach things like psychedelics mm-hmm. to expand the way we feel, see, all those things, How do you see that correlating? Because when you're talking about creating the sort of guidelines as to what your experience is going to be, right? That's the behavior of taking responsibility for how you want to experience that and create that, right? How do you see that sense of responsibility transcending, like the way we approach use of psychedelics approaching our lives?
1: Okay, so I'm going to take it from two different angles. Angle number one is is just the, the belief that we create everything in our lives. These are our movies. We're all living our movie. So you've created me and I've created you. And, 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 and sometimes the things we create feel good and sometimes they don't feel good. But it's all there to teach us something because we can only learn, heal, and grow as we move forward through life. So if we can stop feeling badly and just look at it. Hmm, I did this. I'm accountable for that, so that that's the that's piece number one of radical responsibility. Is that we're responsible for everything. If you get in a fight with your wife, you created that fight. A hundred percent, you created that fight.
0: Yeah. Um, unfortunately, that's hard, right? To because what comes with acknowledgement or taking that level of responsibility is shame, is guilt.
1: But it doesn't have to. It does come, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to come with that. Um, That's and That's true. And we can look at the, we are talking, and before we hit record, we are talking about emotions being thoughts that words haven't been assigned to yet. Okay, so you don't feel good. That's okay. Let's not try to numb it. Let's not try to suppress it. Just embrace it. I don't feel good. What don't you feel good about? I don't feel good about how she treated me. Hmm. Is that really what you don't feel good about? Hmm. I don't feel good because I think she's going to leave me. Okay, is that what you don't feel good about? Uh, I don't feel good because my mom left my dad and maybe I'm not worthy of love and she's gonna leave me at some point and mm-hmm. on and on and on. So I think these emotions that we suppress and we numb and we tuck away are such powerful teachers. If we, and, we, and I think as a culture, we don't talk about them like that. Oh, you're feeling this way. Just let us let me give you a pill. Mm. No, let's let's look into that. Psychedelics, what's interesting about psychedelics, and as uh, you can take a psychedelic, there are a whole bunch of different circumstances and still have an effect. Um, and I don't want to poo-poo someone else's feelings. You can go to a concert and take a psychedelic and have a beautiful concert. Great. I think... If you're using it for self-growth, for spiritual connection, and you just want to optimize, I think we know about best practices that we can say, try it this way. Mm -hmm. For indigenous cultures have used these medicines in group ceremonies for thousands of years. There's a reason why it's in group and not individual. They've used music to move you along. There's a reason why. They've had someone in that room who knows what they're doing. And can help you if you get into a bad loop, can get you out of the loop so that you can still have a powerful experience. So those are kind of best practices. They've You go into a community following the journey. You don't just go back to an individual life. So how do you make sure there's community awaiting for you on the other side of that? Um, so that's kind of the responsibility that you can take with psychedelics. And maybe you're not ready for that yet, and maybe you want to dip your toe with a microdose or dip your toe at a concert. And I'm not going to tell you that's that's wrong. It's just different.
0: I enjoyed Mumford and Sons. There you go. Mushrooms
1: right.
0: It was fantastic. Was it
1: fantastic? Could you actually feel the vibrations of the uh, the banjos and the guitars? I was at
0: uh, the Gorge in Washington. Okay. And it was it was pretty incredible. Yeah. Also, just the energy of the group was good. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be weird in a different, like if I was at a different type of music or a different, for me, at a different type of concert. But it was incredible. Yeah, when music, now I hear some of those songs that were in that playlist. And I'm just and like, And it, oh, it brings you back. Oh, man, I just have like such, when the music hits. I also love how when another song comes on, you go to a totally different, all of a sudden you're like, Ooh, like cast to a totally different experience. Different people come up. The magic of music.
1: Yeah, the mag- music is powerful. And, and for those at home who are looking, if 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 you have found your way to medicine and you're doing this on your own, I mean, you talked Mark about on Spotify. There are some beautiful playlists. And the playlist for a mushroom journey is going to be different than the playlist for a ketamine journey. And just search around for oh, that. Oh, interesting. I never knew that. Yeah, like the Johns Hopkins um, has a beautiful six-hour mushroom journey that is is really well thought out. But a ketamine journey, you're typically talking about an hour. So the, the playlist is different. Uh, um,
0: what thanks was the video. other one
1: you talked about? Sassafras? Sassafras. What is that? Sassafras is MDA. So a precursor to MDMA. Um, so think of it as a, um, a more visual, longer lasting, deeper, mdma experience so a lot of times in a ceremonial setting you'll use that one Um, and again in the beginning you use it to to crack your heart open Um, what i also like about multi-day multi-medicine sometimes if you come in and you've paid whatever you've paid to go do this ceremony you put pressure on yourself of i've got to get a great experience out of my one psychedelic experience you're about to go to the Amazon. We're going to do multiple ayahuasca journeys. So that first day, you're like, you, you've taken the pressure off yourself because you know, if nothing happens here, I've got tomorrow and I've got day three, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and then what typically happens is you go deep and then you're, okay, I know how to do this. I can, I know how to breathe. Mm-hmm. I know how to surrender. I get used to my travelers. I get used to the facilitators. I get used to the musicians. And then you can do it again on day two and go even deeper and then go even deeper on day three. And I bet you, at least in my experience, by a third day, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to do another round of ayahuasca. Do I really need to do this? And then you're going to go a whole, you're going to go somewhere completely different. And it's going to, it's going to be perfect and beautiful mm. and shocking.
0: Do you even how long from the beginning of your five-year journey to today did it take for you to really not have any angst about doing it? Or do you still sometimes...
1: Get nervous. Angst is, I have a healthy Maybe. respect for these medicines. So I do yeah. go in and that's part of why I'm so intentional about this and about taking the time to, to not just wing it. To yeah. I want to set my intention. I want to make sure that the container that I'm in is safe, that the energy is balanced between male and female facilitators, that I know that these musicians know what they're doing and have done guided psychedelic journeys before so that they, they'll feel if something needs to be picked up or if slowed down or just silence is it's needed. So
0: cool that people it's do so that. Cool. Matt, as I already said, I could talk to you all day. I've absolutely loved this. Thank you for saying yes to your journey five years ago because clearly you found <laughs> exactly what you're currently here to be doing. And uh, I'm just very grateful that you flew in and took the time and that you've given people the gift of being able to learn how to do this responsibly, how to do it from a, to create a sense of safety in their exploration. And I love that you said, if you listen this long, like follow the the call. Where else can people find more about you? Where can they get your book and get more information uh, to be able to make good decisions in this avenue?
1: So I have a ton of free resources on my website. I have a free guide to microdosing. So if they go to mattzeman.com, they can download those. Um, If they have questions, they can actually book discovery calls with me, and I'm happy to talk to them about their particular path and what they're trying to achieve. So that's all there. Um, I am pretty active on LinkedIn and Instagram, so that's another way to just reach out and see kind of what what else is happening. And then I, I love going to um different conferences and different things and talking about this. So if somebody has a uh, an event and they want to bring in some psychedelic information for the participants, I... Yeah, I love those types of messages, and again, the, the 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 chance to do that.
0: Well, thanks for what you do, man. It is you're in the you're on the precipice of a massive revolution. So I that's think great. we
1: are on this precipice, and I we. appreciate you bringing this out to your to your audience. And I'm so excited about your journey about to happen, and 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 how that how all of this ties into your marriage, your child, the you, the path. This is a uh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to watch. Yeah, I'm excited. I'll keep you posted. Thank you. Good to, good to talk today. I'm glad we did this.
0: Yeah, thanks, man.